<clears throat> oh, good morning, everyone. Thank you. It's an absolute honor and privilege uh, to be here uh, today. Thank you so much for the invitation. But I have a confession to make as I begin. My Pentecostal granny, that's the confession. My Pentecostal granny used to sing to me on a Saturday night or on a Sunday morning. This is what she sang. I was glad, very glad, when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord today. They'll be singing, they'll be dancing, they'll be victory in the house of the Lord today. Does anybody else know that song? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I went through life thinking my gran had written it. I didn't know it was, it was well known. You, you've just spoiled that for me forever. Great expectation in my gran's heart for the day to come. Singing, dancing, victory. We would also meet our family my grandparents, my parents, my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, all gathered together in the presence of the living Christ to worship, empowered by the Spirit, lifting us up, encouraging us, building us up, taking us through the mundane of the 60s and the 70s. Breaking up that hard manual labor that my grandfather went through day in, day out as a miner. Taking him out of that predictable routine and saying there was something greater. There was something more. But things changed. Slowly and surely, the world around us changed. The manual labor stopped. The family began to scatter with every single new generation, and the church began to struggle to manage the decline that was happening. The disorientating times were just beginning. Fifty years later, as I look around the church in Central Asia, Europe, and the Middle East, I find myself repeating the phrase, something is dying and something is not yet born. I, I remember 30 years ago when I set out in ministry saying to a group of Baptist deacons with absolute confidence, if we move the toddlers group from that damp, dusty hall and put them in this beautiful, bright place, the church will grow. And it did. It actually doubled. And it started with that simple decision of honoring those mums and moving them into a better place for them. One simple decision, huge evangelistic growth. I remember telling another church meeting, all we need to do is move out the church building into the school assembly hall and we will grow. Not a shadow of doubt in this young minister's mind that it would happen. And on the first Sunday, there was 20% growth. By the end of the month, 25% growth. To be honest, it was predictable. It was manageable. You could see it, that it was going to happen. For the last 18 months, 
I've been supporting a small Baptist church in Scotland. They're watching online right now. Say hi to them. That's about as famous as that church is ever going to get. <laughs> I have no quick fix for them today. There is no silver bullet for them. There is no programming idea, just do this and this will all change. And that's because we are living in disorientating times. And it's not just the UK. Last week in my job, I was in Sarajevo speaking at the Bosnia-Herzegovina Assembly. And there the church grew massively after the end of the war in the late 90s. But as we changed millennium, the church began to decline and has continued to decline in the Balkan nations steadily. And that's a pattern that's repeated throughout Europe, Central Asia, and the Middle East. And then COVID-19 comes along. All its personal pain and its social destruction. It's exposed the fragility of the church. Folks like myself who've been in leadership for a generation are asking serious questions about what we've been doing for the last 30 years because of the last two. It appears that everything is being questioned. And that is what is so disorientating for us. Inflation is back. Do you remember it? Yeah, 13% on the mortgage. War is back in Europe. Church volunteering has changed beyond recognition. Congregational numbers are significantly below pre-pandemic levels. Young people's lives and the ministries to them seem to have been disproportionately affected. Something is dying and something is not yet born. How will we navigate these disorientating times? That's the key question I'm asking in ministry right now. It's the key question I'm asking in my family right now. How will we navigate these disorientating times? It's a question I heard at the European Baptist Ethics Conference last week. It's a question I will hear next month in Budapest at the Mission Conference. How will we respond? Or as the Northumbria community puts it, how then shall we live? And I invite you this morning to explore with me that question, not to find an answer, but to find at least a direction of travel because something is dying and something is not yet born. I want to lead you to explore the riches of the Scripture that we heard read and also the riches of our roots as a Baptist community. One of the great metaphors of the New Testament, a metaphor of connection, a metaphor for truth, a metaphor of hopefulness, a metaphor introduced by Jesus at a time of disorientation for his disciples is that metaphor of the vine, the gardener, and the branches. If you flick back or swipe back in your Bibles to chapter 13 and 14, you'll pick up the context of disorientation. 
John had been revealing that Jesus was the true Word, the living God, the glorious Savior. Water is turned into wine. The dead are raised to life, the blind see. But now there is talk of betrayal, talk of denial, death, and confusion. Thomas says, Jesus, we haven't got a clue what you're talking about. We, we just don't get it. Where are you going? How are we going to get there? Eh, I don't get it. Jesus then paints this picture of the garden with the gardener. And he tells them that you are the pruned branches on the vine, destined to be fruitful if you remain in me. If you abide in me, the Greek word is, is meno, to quite literally mean make your home in him. I've always found the, the question, where are you from, a confusing question. What do you mean? I mean, originally? Well, a little village called Denny. Today? Kirkintilloch. Generally, Scotland. <laughs> Specifically, a canal boat on the Forth and Clyde Canal. A similar question is asked in Scots, and it's actually really easy to understand if you know the language. <laughs> Where do you bide? That's the question. Where do you bide? It means, where are you making your home right now? And Jesus says to his disciples in the Greek, where do you bide? Where are you making your home right now? Because you need to make your home in me, in times of insecurity, in, in times of uncertainty, in times of disorientation. You need to make your home and dwell in me who is the light of the world, who is the bread of life, who is the resurrection, the way, the truth, and the life. The theologian Michael Gorman wrote, Johannine spirituality fundamentally consists in the mutual indwelling of the triune God and Jesus' disciples, such that the disciples participate in the divine love and life, and therefore in the life-giving mission of God. This is at the heart of who we are as disciples. This is our key identity statement. We are in Christ. Paul uses the phrase all over the place. One example, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Maximus the Confessor, that's a great name. He describes our participation in God as if we were an iron sword placed in a fire. And whilst in the fire, that sword will take on the characteristics of the fire, the heat, the light. It will, it will glow and blaze out of the fire as long as it remains in the fire. And he said, that is what it means to dwell in Christ the possibility that we might become more and more like Him as we dwell in Him. John is teaching here and also in his epistle that by the grace of God, we are invited to make our home in the Godhead 
to, to participate in the relational union of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Or as Luke puts it in Acts, in the words of Paul to the people in Athens, in Him we live and move and have our being. Being in Christ is our identity. But when that identity is challenged but by feelings of constant disorientation in a world where people are, are struggling to know where they belong, in a time of mass migration, in an era of sexual and gender questioning, in a time of family division and separation, in a time of war and displacement, in a world trying to recover from COVID, in an unequal world where advantage and disadvantage is embedded in every institution and structure, in a world where the environmental future is far from secure, we are invited to make our dwelling place in the one eternal, unchanging God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And like the Ukrainian Baptists have shown us in the face of unspeakable evil and the most awful disorientation in their homeland, they have throughout this conflict returned to their roots and abided in Christ with bombs, shells, and mortars going and landing around their church buildings. They have sought refuge in church basements and simultaneously sought the presence of God as two or three gather together in His name. Central to their response to this war has been abiding in Christ's presence, reading Scriptures together, finding reasons together for thanksgiving despite what's going on outside, praying together, entering the discipline of sharing communion together, eating bread and drinking wine, baptizing new believers. It is here in connection with one another that they are able to testify to the experience and the presence of God in the midst of their conflict. It, it seems so simple, so simple, but I fear we're losing this fundamental Baptist emphasis that where two or three are gathered, there I am dwelling with them in the midst. Where two or three. That thinking has been under attack for so long. The pandemic amplified it for us. On the one hand, there is the individualism of our world which tells us you don't even need two or three. You can be self-sufficient. You can be independent. The world that puts us in competition with one another and separates us. On the other hand, the church has adopted by and large an attractional model of church that tells us it's not where two or three are gathered, it's where two or three hundred are gathered. It's the size of the crowd. And yet that size of crowd challenges our deep commitment as Baptists to deep community. I recently said in the house group, and I often throw in little things just to cause a minor explosion in the room. 
why would you read your Bible on your own? That was my latest one. I mean, why would you? I mean, honestly, why would you read the Bible on your own? We are Baptists. We're meant to read it in community. This reading it on your own is a new thing. I mean, it, it was only possible when the printed press came in and everybody could read. Before that, you had to hear it together in community. And I think we're meant to read it in community. I know it's not always possible, but it's more possible than you think. Ukrainians have been reading the Bible every day together in community for the first time in a generation. It's, it's possible. When COVID struck, do you remember? So many of us went online and read the Bible together in community, on Facebook, on Zoom. Every day, pastors were producing materials for us to listen and share together as we struggled with the beginning of the COVID pandemic. But on Saturday, I run with a friend. We go out for an hour or two, and we run at a pace where we can talk the whole time. And the first time we went out, he asked me this question, what has God said to you from the Bible reading this week? How would you like that one today? And every time we've run together since then, he's asked the question, and I've asked it back. What has God said to you this week? It means when I do read it on my own, I'm reading it knowing someone's going to come and ask me later in the week. And boy, does that change the reading. I, I want to encourage you in times of disorientation to go back to our Baptist roots rather than our recent traditions, to consider what it was that our ancestors centuries past discovered and practiced about being in Christ, to build our home, deeply rooted foundations of gathering together in community. Our Baptist roots as a believer's church draw us naturally into this communal, intergenerational discernment and disciple-making, discerning together what that path of faithfulness and maturity looked like. Baptist beginnings involve people leaving churches where it was okay to be anonymous in the crowd. They didn't want to be anonymous in the crowd anymore. They wanted to share life together as exemplified in the relational union of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have deep roots that when creatively explored can help us to build our home in Christ and equip us for the future. Peter Barber was the minister of Upton Vale Baptist Church in Torquay. He was also one of my predecessors as General Secretary of the Baptist Union of Scotland. In the 80s and into the 90s, he used to say, the Baptist time has not yet come. But I think it has come now, Baptist churches should be ready and able to pivot in a time of un ongoing global uncertainty because it's, it's in our roots. This commitment to encountering the risen Christ in and through one another as we build our home together in Christ. Our, our way of faith is really simple at its root. 
We connect with Christ who connects us with each other and through witness connects us with the rest of the world. It's the trappings of our traditions often borrowed from other churches or developed for different times and different cultures that have complicated things for us. Now is the time to be experimental, to freshly imagine an embodiment of our declaration of principle that is new, to accompany us, to challenge us, and maybe even to succeed our inherited models of church. In him we must live and move and have our being. And for the rest of our time together, I want us to focus on how we might connect with Christ and one another in the mission of God, particularly looking at verses 9 through to 12 in John 15. I don't know if you noticed the symmetry of these verses. Verse 9 talks about remaining in my love. Verse 11 talks about being filled with joy. And then verse 11 goes on to then talk about pouring out that love and joy as it overflows to others. As I said yesterday on this platform, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Why? So that you may overflow with great hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The remaining leads to going. The result of abiding is spelled out in verse 16. I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Again, if we return to the situation in Ukrainian Baptist churches, gathered in basements to be refreshed daily, to receive and to appreciate the love and joy of Christ so that they may overflow and serve the nation around them. Ukrainian Baptists daily leave the safety of their basement churches to serve their communities. They travel from Lviv in the west to Kiev and to Mariupol in order to try and save some, in order to try and bring relief and aid to others. They walk the frail and elderly from the basements to buses in Irpin amidst the shelling, and some lost their lives as they made that journey for others. The whole people of God in Ukraine have been participating in the mission of God out of the security of dwelling in Christ. Out of the abundance of being found in Christ, they enter the insecurity of a war zone and pour out their lives in service and sacrifice. It was Nigel Wright who wrote in his book, New Baptist, New Agenda. I thought I should mention an English Baptist. <laughs> he said, Baptists at their roots are activists because we live in his life and love. We serve in his life and love. We will go and invite others to make their home in him because we are making our home in him. The calling here is to take on our family resemblance in mission and as an act of witness. Remember that theologian Michael Gorman? Johannine spirituality fundamentally consists in the mutual indwelling of the triune God. That cow popped up, didn't it? 
He's coming later. Go one slide on. In the mutual indwelling of the triune God and Jesus' disciples, such that the disciples participate in the divine love and life, and therefore in the life-giving mission of God. You know, my mother regularly says to me, Alan, you are a Donaldson. That is not a compliment. Her maiden name was McRae. But she says, Alan, you are a Donaldson. You are stubborn like your father and like his two brothers who are also listening today. <laughs> it's one of our family traits. Similarly, because we live and move and have our being in Christ, we who dwell in Him, we go and we invite others to make their home in Him. And as we go, we learn to appreciate our home more fully. In the early 20s, I lived in England for three years. That's where I perfected this English accent of mine. <laughs> in that three years, I became really Scottish. Strange. More Scottish than I had ever been before. I, I, absence makes the heart grow fonder and all that stuff. But I suddenly discovered I wanted to celebrate Burns Night and St. Andrew's Night. I wanted to play the accordion and the bagpipes. I, I, I wanted to wear my kilt for any reason that I could imagine I could wear my kilt for. And I used to search for Highland cow pictures to hang on the wall. It's in truly going into this world in its beauty and its pain, its suffering and its hope, its loss of identity as well as its search for identity, its hopelessness and its hopefulness, its disorientation as well as its reorientation, that we grasp with greater depth the love, the protection, the security, the joy, the peace, and the hope that we have as we abide in Him. Going becomes our classroom of discipleship. As we go, we grow. Ukrainians don't grow inside the basements of the church because they're reading Scripture and praying together. They grow because they leave that basement and they come back into it at the end of the day and they have new questions to bring to the Word of God. They have new reasons for thanksgiving. They have new reasons for hope. They understand how deep the Father's love and joy is after they have served and as they are serving. The fruit of going in the mission of God while abiding in the vine is twofold. We will grow and become more fruitful. And others will be changed also along the way. Today in the global south, we are seeing millions come to faith through disciple-making movements. The recent estimates are that there are 77 million believers who see their role as releasing the 77 million into mission from day one of their discipleship. Movements who envisage every believer as a missionary in line with our own declaration of principle, which you all know off by heart, that it is the duty of every disciple to bear witness 
to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to take part in the evangelization of the world. They are doing it. Imagine what it would mean to equip, enable, and release 100,000 disciples in Great Britain, all willing to make disciples of others, all willing to teach people what it means to abide and live in Christ. That's what our forebearers believed in. Now, these models are slowly arriving in the UK I know they're experimenting with them up in Yorkshire, for example. But what strikes me is they seem to fit our roots well. And they also seem to fit the culture of disorientation that we are living in at this time. And therefore, they need amplification as a potential future model for Baptist churches in the UK. They are a freshly imagined embodiment of our Declaration of Principle. And they may accompany us, they may challenge us, they may even succeed us as a model for church life. These last few years have been tough. You you don't need me to tell you that. And, And none of us knows exactly what it is that lies ahead for us. Something is dying. And something is not yet born. How can we navigate these years? I believe we need to explore what it truly means to abide in Christ. To experiment with new ways of being church. Deeply connected to Christ. Connected to one another. And connected to our roots as a Baptist people, to take time to dig into our roots and creatively apply them to the current situation, to participate in the life and love and joy and peace of God, and to know the security of the household that enables us to go out and reveal His light and His glory. And the most effective way I can think to demonstrate this is in a dance. I I told you at the beginning, didn't I? They'll be singing. You've heard me singing. They'll be dancing. I said it. I'm going to keep my promise. At least if I dance today, I know you will never forget this moment. And hopefully you will not forget the point as well. God invites us to simultaneously remain with him and to go. Any jivers out there? Okay, you can tell me later because you're not willing to say it in front of others. But my wife has come all the way from Scotland for this moment. Let me go this side. So we jive, okay? So we've done this before. This isn't an experiment. It does, st- <laughs> it does still embarrass the kids, though, okay? And I suspect it'll be out there for a long time. There's a jive move called a stop and go. It goes like this. Five, six, seven, eight. One, two, three, four. 
Nice, simple move. Just spin the lady away, bring her back, stop her there, take her back again, stop her there. Normally, congregations crap by now, Ruth. Okay, let's break it down again. Okay, five, six, seven, eight. So we're just doing a little bit. Oh, they're going to clap. Stop. That's the stop bit. Now look at what's happening here. Shoulder to shoulder. Arm wrapped around. Held securely. Held tightly. If I'm doing the move right, it looks like this. Yeah. Gazing into eyes. Saying, I love you. You're special. You're beautiful. And then the release. And then back. And then we just speed it up a bit. You need to speed up your clapping. There you go, thank you. Don't forget the dance, but don't forget the point. Our Heavenly Father, by His grace, draws us in, gazes upon us, holds us closely, protects us, reminds us of our beauty, tells us, you are in the vine, and then simultaneously sends us out spinning into a disorientating environment, yet knowing we are still connected. We are still secure in Him, dwelling in the godly household, held in the everlasting arms, experiencing Him with us when we are being held, and also as we go through His presence and the presence of other believers. Then together, overflowing into the community around us. Lord, may it be so that we learn to abide and go. Amen.